wonder if you've ever thought to yourself, maybe said out loud to others, if only God would speak to me. Maybe there's been a time in your past, like there is in my past, where I went and tried to sit alone quietly for an extended period of time, hoping, praying, listening, that perhaps God with an audible voice, voice would speak to me. I think we often wonder, does God speak? Does God speak today? Perhaps most personally, will God speak to me? And if he does speak today, how does that happen? That's what we're going to explore today in our passage. So if you have a Bible, turn with me to the book of 1 Samuel, to 1 Samuel chapter 3. Today we'll be in 1 Samuel 3. You can find it in the Bibles near you on page 227. Page 227. I encourage you to open up a copy of the Bible or just open up a Bible app so you can see the text in front of you as we work through this chapter this morning. If you're newer to the Bible, the larger numbers are the chapter numbers. We're in chapter 3. The smaller numbers, the verse numbers, will begin in verse 1. I'll mention those throughout the chapters. We get to verse 21. And if you don't own a copy of the Bible, we as a church would love to give you one today as a gift. The back of the room, there's a, a stack of those assigned there. Please grab one of those and take them with you. Uh, also, related to this series, as we often do, there's some Bible journals for 1 Samuel. And so you can grab one of those for free. On the left-hand side, it has the text. The right-hand side, a place if you'd like to make notes uh, during the sermons or just in your own reading as well. So today we continue our series in the book of 1 Samuel. We're calling In Search of a King. And in general, in preparation for the coming Sunday, I think you'll often find it helpful to read the text that's coming up. But probably especially during 1 Samuel because we often will be taking a larger portion of Scripture. And so at the bottom of the guide on the left-hand side, it will typically list the next couple of Sundays. So you might find it helpful to read ahead, just to, especially as we come to some larger portions of Scripture. So 1 Samuel chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli. And the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. At that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, was lying down in his own place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called Samuel, and he said, here I am. He ran to Eli and said, here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call. Lie down again. So he went and lay down. The Lord called again, Samuel. And Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call you, my son. Lie down again. Samuel did not yet know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. The Lord called Samuel again the third time. And he rose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the boy. Therefore Eli said to Samuel, Go, lie down, and if he calls you, you shall say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. The Lord came and stood, calling as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. Samuel said, speak, for your servant hears. Then the Lord said to Samuel, behold, I'm about to do a thing in Israel at which the two ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. 
On that day I will fulfill against Eli all that I've spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. I declare to him that I'm about to punish his house forever for the iniquity that he knew because his sons were blaspheming God and he did not restrain them. Therefore I swear to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. Samuel lay until morning, then he opened the doors of the house of the Lord. Samuel was afraid to tell the vision to Eli. But Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son, and he said, here I am. And I said, what was it that he told you? Do not hide it from me. May God do so to you, and more also, if you hide anything from me of all that he told you. So Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. And he said, it is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. And Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord appeared again at Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. This morning as we look at this passage, we'll see this emphasis Listen to God's powerful, life-changing word. Listen to God's powerful, life-changing word. And we'll, we'll look at our passage in four scenes. So first we'll see the word is rare. Then we'll see the word is received. Third, the word is announced. And then last, the word is plentiful. And we'll spend more of our time on the first two of these four. So first we see the word is rare in verses 1 through 3. We started 1 Samuel two weeks ago, and we were introduced to this family, Elkanah, his two wives, Peninnah and Hannah, who lived in a small town. They were an unknown family, no, no influence, no power. And Peninnah had several children, and Hannah, Elkanah's other wife, had none. Peninnah often mocked, provoked Hannah because of that. Year after year, this was a source of great pain for Hannah. Year after year, they would go to the tabernacle. But then one year, when they went to the tabernacle, a, a tent that had been set up, ordained by God, where God's people would, would come to offer these sacrifices to the Lord, while there, Hannah, weeping with a broken heart, prayed, praying that the Lord would give to her a child and promising, if he did, that she would give that child back to the service of the Lord. We saw that God had graciously answered that prayer and given to Hannah a little boy named Samuel and had been faithful, had, had weaned Samuel and then taken Samuel to the tabernacle where Samuel would then live and be raised by Eli and live with his sons, Hophni and Phinehas, as well. Last week, we saw just how thoroughly sinful and corrupt Eli, the priest, two sons who were also priests, Hophni and Phinehas were. We saw how his people were, were rightly bringing their sacrifices to God, these animal sacrifices, that, that rather than following God's plan of, of what would be shared with the priest, they were choosing the best parts and more than was entitled to them. In addition to that, not only were they con showing contempt for the very sacrifices offered to God, but they were sexually sinning against women who served at the tabernacle. Eli, their father, knew what they were doing. We'd seen that, yes, he, he did speak some words of correction, but they were only half-hearted. 
He took no real actions to discipline his sons. And at the end last week, we saw an unknown prophet came to Eli and announced to Eli judgment that was going to fall upon his house. That his two sons would, would die on the same day. There would be no continuation of the priesthood from Eli's own family line. But even in the midst of all of that despair and the ugly picture of sin, we had seen last week these small glimpses of hope. And we mentioned those glimpses were this boy Samuel who was scattered across the text. In contrast to the corruption of these two, Hophni and Phinehas, we'd see Samuel who was at the tabernacle ministering to the Lord. And again, Samuel who was growing up and beginning to mature, ministering to the Lord. That's where we pick up our story today. We're told in verse 1 that Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence or under the leadership of Eli. So he's serving in the tabernacle in Shiloh. At this point, we're not certain what Samuel's age was, but, but by our text last week, we do see some number of years has passed. Uh, perhaps he's early adolescent, might be a guess of how old he is at this point. And we're told an important and very sobering note. Look, look at verse 1. It says, and the word of the Lord was rare in those days. And there was no frequent vision. Now, the God of Israel historically was a speaking God. From the very beginning, when he spoke to Abraham, had spoken to his people and had spoken through his people, through spokesmen who would communicate to God's people. But now, God was very rarely speaking to his people. If there was not a chosen spokesman communicating to God's people, but why? Why was the word of God rare? Well, as we've mentioned, this takes place, the events of 1 Samuel, just after the book of Judges. At the end of Judges, Judges 21, 25 describes to us, this was what the spiritual climate was of God's people. Judges 21, 25, in those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. So this was a, the general spiritual atmosphere of God's people. People not doing what was right in God's eyes, but doing what was right in their own eyes. Choosing their own paths, choosing their own ways. So the vast majority of people were disregarding God. At another moment in history, God's people again were rebelling. And God spoke through the prophet Amos then. And here's what he said through Amos in Amos 8, 11, and 12. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord God, when I will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. They shall wander from sea to sea and from north to east. They shall run to and fro to seek the word of the Lord, but they shall not find it. So there, Amos is saying that there is a way where at times God may withhold his word as a means of correction and discipline for his people. And that would seem to be what's happening here. There's a famine of the word. The God who speaks is not speaking frequently to his people. In verse 2, we see a scene described as Eli, the priest. He's grown old. His eyesight has grown dim. He's almost blind. He can hardly see. But as the author gives us these details, they're, they're intended to tell us more than only about his physical sight. They also point that sadly Eli seems to lack spiritual sight as well. He lacks spiritual discernment. Back in chapter 1, we saw when Hannah came and prayed at the tabernacle, that as she was weeping, Eli the priest, rather than identifying, understanding that she's praying, he accused her and even scolded her for being drunk. 
Though she was doing exactly what you should do when you come to the tabernacle. We saw that he knew of the serious sins of his sons in chapter 2. And yet Eli only half-heartedly sought to correct them. Even though he had the power to remove them as priests, he chose not to. Here we see that Eli lacks discernment. Verse 3, we're told the lamp of God in the tabernacle was, was burning that burns through the night, and it had not yet gone out. So it's, it's well into the night. Samuel was lying in the temple, which is the tabernacle here. And just as it was night in Shiloh, it was also night for God's people. The darkness of their own sin and rebellion was heavy upon them. Very rare light of the word of God. And as we read along, it seems almost hopeless. But there was still a flicker. Just as there was a, a flicker of light in the tabernacle, still there's a light. And what is that light? It is the young Samuel we saw last week. And then we'll see this week. Here also we see the first mention of the ark that will play a, a significant role going forward. God had instructed his people to build this special box that would be carried around with God's people. Certain things placed inside of it, including the two tablets of his commandments. And there, God had promised his unique presence with his people. And so we see it's a dark time for God's people. So many of them so far from God, doing what was right in their own eyes. Even their leaders, their priests are corrupt. And yet, in so many ways, the people are still religious. For they were still going to Shiloh to present sacrifices. So they're doing right in their own eyes. They still outwardly, to an observer, may have appeared to be religiously devoted. Friend, that's possible for us as well. To outwardly appear religiously devoted. To go through the motions of spiritual activities, but our hearts, our actions are very far from God. Is it possible that's where you find yourself today? You're here today, and that's a good thing. But is it possible your, your body is here, but your heart is elsewhere? Even though it seems so dark, the lamp had not completely gone out. There's still this flickering hope. And friend, so it always is in the world. But the light of God is always present in there are times in history where it seems so much corruption and so much sin in this place or that, in this country or that. We wonder, is there anyone there who knows and loves God? Does God have any people in that place? As we look around the world today, there are places where the light seems to be growing dim. But friends, it's wise to be a global Christian. There are parts of the world today where the gospel is spreading rapidly and powerfully where people are embracing the gospel, in places where people who've never heard the gospel before, and it's breaking through. So even as it may dim here, it's still present in other places. It is brighter than ever. So what about greater Boston? What, what does it look like, the light here? Of course, historically, there have been moments when Boston was the lighthouse of the gospel in this continent. It played a key role in history of God's people. At other times, though, Austin has been the hotbed for cults. Has had lots of church buildings, but very little gospel presence. 
Just a few decades ago, there were very little gospel presence in local churches in greater Boston. But God did still preserve a witness, even in those dark days. He still preserved some who were preaching this same gospel. Friends, by God's grace, under his sovereign hand, in the last 15, 20, 25 years, there's been a spread of the gospel in greater Boston. There's a statistically provable growth of gospel witness in greater Boston. More churches, more people, more Christians on most campuses in greater Boston than there have been in decades. Now, statistically, still compared to most parts of the country, there are very few Christians in Boston compared to elsewhere, but compared to where it was 50 years ago, the light is more plentiful. Light is spreading in greater Boston. Friend, be encouraged. God is at work in our region. And friend, be encouraged no matter where we are, don't lose hope. Whether it's in your family where perhaps there are no other Christians with you, or it's in your campus program, you don't know a single other Christian, or in your workplace, friend, the light is powerful. The flicker does break through. God's saving power still transforms. So you see the word is rare, but even though it was rare, it was present, which brings us to second, the word is received. The word is received in verses 4 through 14. We see that while young Samuel was laying in bed, perhaps asleep, the Lord calls to Samuel. We see in verse 5, Samuel thought it was Eli, so he ran to Eli, said to Eli, here I am. Eli responded, I didn't call you, go back to bed. Same thing happens again, verse 6. Verse 7, we see a significant note. Look down at verse 7. It says, now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. If you remember, those same words were said about Eli's two corrupt sons last week. Verse 12, chapter 2, they did not know the Lord. So it's the exact same thing being said of Samuel as was said of these two corrupt brothers, Hophni and Phinehas. Not exactly. For Hophni and Phinehas were, were grown men who knew God's word, who knew his ways, and they had chosen to reject it, to rebel in every way. And if we look closely, there's a very important word, yet. Samuel did not yet know the Lord. Samuel was young, had not yet come to fully know the Lord, but that is what is about to happen in this episode. So Samuel's the complete contrast to Hophni and Phinehas. Verse 8, the Lord called to Samuel a third time. Again, Samuel went to Eli. This time we see at the end of verse 8, Eli then perceived that the Lord was calling the boy. Now, as a dad, I want to try to give Eli some credit here. I know what it's like to be sound asleep and for someone to come and wake you up. One of our two children used to often come into our room late at night and be perhaps crying a little bit and convinced that someone or something was in his or her room. And I would say, as I try to wake up and try to be loving, go back to your room, there's nothing in there. And if he, she came back and said it again, I was saying, there, there's, I, there's still nothing. If I, was, if I was a caring dad, like so many of you dads, you get up and go, but then go check. But if I was like, if there's nothing there, it's fine, go back. And so I want to give Eli credit here, but, but it does seem that Eli, again, is showing just a lack of discernment. 
mean, who else would be calling at the tabernacle? I mean, it's the Lord's house. If anyone is going to be there speaking, it would have been the Lord. And so Eli, who thought Hannah was drunk, here doesn't discern that the Lord himself is speaking because it seems that Eli has given up hope that the Lord might speak again. This time, though, Eli does instruct Samuel. He says, if the Lord speaks again, say to him, speak, Lord, for your servant hears. We see verse 10, the Lord came and stood. And again, Samuel replied, speak, for your servant hears. Then the Lord told Samuel something was about to happen in Israel that would cause the ears of everyone to tingle as they heard it. What would it be that they would hear? Would it be good news? Would it be bad news? It's actually a daunting word of judgment. For on that day, God was going to carry out the judgment that he had made on Eli and his house. We see the specifics. Look at verse 13. And I declare to him that I'm about to punish his house forever for the iniquity that he knew because his sons were blaspheming God and he did not restrain them. Therefore, I swear to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. So it is a daunting word of judgment. But friends, we, we should not miss the depth of the sin. Look at what he says. The judgment on Eli is because he knew what his sons were doing. They were blaspheming God. And he didn't restrain them. So this is why there's such a serious judgment. Eli is a priest. His sons are priests. They know better. They know God's word. And not only were they blaspheming, but they were blaspheming with the very offerings that were intended to provide atonement for God's people. The worst of the worst sins they could commit. And Eli knew it. And he did not restrain them. Friends, this should be a sobering caution for any who find themselves in spiritual leadership. Elders, pastors. Friend, we will be held accountable. There is a stricter judgment for us. But what are we to make of this interaction between the Lord and Samuel? Should we expect that we would have the same experience of hearing an audible voice or having a vision of God? It's an important question. You've likely wondered it yourself. Well, if we look across the scriptures, we see that Samuel's experience here is actually in a very small group of kind of call experiences with, with Abraham, Moses, Isaiah, the Apostle Paul. So as we read this frame, we're, we're nowhere told or instructed that this is normative, nor that we should expect an experience like this. Summer before my junior year in college was just a pivotal summer for me as I was really thinking that perhaps God was changing my desires and direction in life. And I really did want to follow Jesus. I didn't want to make a wrong choice. So I spent a summer in California working in a small church. In the beginning of the summer, there was about a week, we were in uh, this beautiful uh, kind of retreat center uh, for orientation. But while there, it was a crisis of faith for me as I was wrestling with what God was perhaps leading me to do. And I did want to hear from God. And so I spent night after night alone walking under the stars. And, and I can remember clearly just sitting quietly, as quietly as I could, praying that God would speak. Asking God, would you, would you speak? If you'll speak, I'll do it. If I could just hear your voice, 
I'll do whatever you tell me to do. And I was convinced, and I, I really meant that I, I was humbly saying, you spoke to Moses, speak to Moses to, to me like that, and I will do it. Now, but now upon reflection in time, and actually with some help of some kind of spiritual mentors, I began to realize to say, well, you just give an experience like Moses is a little bit presumptuous. <laughs> but not many people got that experience. So for me to think I should get that sort of audible burning bush experience was, though it intended to be humble, was actually asking something quite unusual in the history of God's people. Friend, maybe you found yourself doing something similar. So if we shouldn't expect that, how does God speak today? Well, the book of Hebrews is very helpful to us here. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 to 4 tells us this. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. He's the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Having become so much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. So we're told there that in the past, God spoke at many times and in many ways. And he spoke especially, we're told, through the prophets like Samuel. But now, where we are in history, on this side of the coming of Jesus Christ, his life, death, resurrection, the spirit has now come and dwells within us. Now... He has spoken through his son to us. The coming of Jesus Christ, the son of God, the very word of God made flesh has come near to us. And now we have in the scriptures the recording of his, his life, his teachings, description of his sacrifice for us on the cross. So friends, now we have the entire Bible, the scriptures inspired by the Holy Spirit. Samuel did not have this. He had some of God's word. We have the entire canon of God's scriptures. So now we understand the scriptures in light of Jesus Christ. And now the Holy Spirit works through the word day by day in us, week by week, year by year. So not through an audible voice, friend, as you read God's word, as you listen to God's word, as we hear God's word preached, friend, God is speaking to us. This is God's normal means, speaking through the scriptures by the Spirit to us. So if tomorrow you sit down and, and read 1 Samuel 3, or you, or you read Psalm 111 or Matthew 5, and as you do that, God is speaking to you by his word. And this is not to say that God is not able to speak in other ways or that sometimes he does. Sometimes he does. But he has not promised that to us, nor should we expect it. Uh, we'll have a seminar on October 20th on this topic of how does God guide his people? And connected to that topic is this question of how does God speak? So I invite you to consider joining us for that. I'll tell you in that one session where to live, what to do, all those things. It will include staying in Boston for the rest of your life. But besides that, I'll tell you all sorts of things. But in preparation for that or just leading to it, on the book table, there's a helpful little book called Guidance, How Does God Guide His People? There are lots of books on the topic. Most of them, honestly, I've read all of them, or many of them over the years and found them to be confusing, unhelpful. It's, it's the clearest, briefest treatment of it. I commend it to you. Uh, and so it's on the book table if you'd like to pick it up today. 
So now we have opportunity to hear from the word of God as we read the scriptures daily. So what a privilege it is to have a copy of God's word. In all of history, so recent that we've had access where every person can have a copy of it. Where every person can have a pile of copies as we do in our country. Or an app you can so easily read. If you've ever traveled the world where there's less access to the scriptures in a particular language, you see how people cherish the word. We shouldn't take lightly. What a privilege it is to have access to God's word. So do we take advantage of that? To just realize each day or, or more days than not, I can just carve out a little time, take in a little bit of God's word. And the next day, take in a little bit more of God's word. Kids, it's so encouraging to you guys, to see you guys, one, have a Bible that you open up and you listen and you read. It's a wonderful thing to cultivate a life at a very young age of reading the scriptures for yourself. I did not cultivate it. It's a good thing that you're doing that. Now, reading the Bible, at times, it can be hard to understand that. So when you have questions, that's completely reasonable to have questions. So ask your parents. And if you have hard questions, ask Pastor Mike. He loves hard questions. <laughs> So bring him all the hard ones. I'll take the easy ones, give him the hard ones. But it's a great thing to read the scriptures. In addition to reading the scriptures, we also hear the word preached. So in this unusual moment, I mean, it's strange in our society what we're doing right now. But God's people have historically believed that God works through this normal means. and That God is speaking to us through his word. And as we're together in these moments, we're also encouraging one another through the word. Colossians 3.16 tells us this, as Paul writes to the church in Colossae, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And this is for God's people together. So what we'll do today, we've already done. We're reading God's word, we're, we're praying God's word, we're seeing God's word, but we're not just doing it alone, but we're doing it together. So those means we're encouraging one another. That's why, why God has designed us to be a part of a local church in this way. And so what's a helpful mindset to have as we approach the scriptures when we're going to read God's word or listen to God's word, hear God's word preached? Here, friends, follow Samuel's example. Remember what Eli told Samuel. He said, say this, speak, Lord. For your servant hears. So you might just breath a simple prayer as you're about to read the Bible. Lord, would you help me today to hear you as you speak through the scriptures? Give me a soft heart to hear. Protect me from my wandering mind. Help me in these few moments to hear you through your word. So we see the word is received. But it's not only received, it's also shared. We see third, the word announced in verses 15 through 18. So after Samuel heard the word, he went back to his bed until morning. He got up that day, went about his normal role of opening the doors of the tabernacle. And we see in verse 15 that Samuel was afraid to tell Eli the vision. That makes sense. It would seem that over the years, he's developed some affection for Eli. He cared for Eli in some ways. And he had heard this devastating word of judgment. He's not eager to tell Eli the news. But Eli called Samuel and asked him what the Lord had said. And he said, tell me everything. Don't tell me most of it. Don't tell me the part you think I should want to hear. Tell me everything. 
So Samuel faced a moment of truth. Would he tell Eli all the Lord had told him? Or only part of it? We see verse 18, so Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. Then we see Eli's response. He says, it is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. It's unclear exactly Eli's feeling at that moment. It seems primarily a tone of resignation. It's honestly hard to, to detect. Perhaps there's repentance in there, but certainly not obvious. So here we see Samuel's first experience as a prophet, as a messenger of God. And it's instructive to us of what the role of the prophet is. Samuel did not have the authority to be an editor of what God had told him. He didn't get to choose part of it. He didn't get to distill it down. He didn't get to just give the high points. He was to give everything the Lord had said to him. He was to deliver to Eli. And this is how all of us are to relate to God's word. We are not editors. We don't get to pick and choose the parts that we really love and discount parts that make us uncomfortable, parts we don't prefer. The fact is we all need all of God's word. And those around us need all of God's word. And in God's word, we're told the truth about ourselves. And as a part of that truth, there is bad news about us, that we were born into the disease of sin. And we've embraced that as a pattern of life. And because of that, we all deserve a rightful judgment for our rebellion and sin. And God's word gives us good news that Jesus Christ came to provide the one beautiful remedy for that disease of sin, for our lives of rebellion. Jesus Christ lived the perfect sinless life. He died in the place of sinners so that as a gift of grace, sinners like us could be reconciled with God, forgiven of sins, adopted into God's own family. Often if you're not a Christian, we're so glad you're with us today. And it is our prayer that you give ser serious consideration, want to the truth the Bible tells all of us about ourselves. It is a heavy, daunting word. So we want you to hear that, but, but don't only hear that. Please also hear, consider the good news of what God the Son, Jesus Christ, the very Lamb of God, came to do as he offered the one perfect sacrifice for sinners like us. Now, as individual Christians, we want to be faithful to share all of God's word. As we seek to help people around us know Jesus, one of the best ways we can do that is to perhaps invite them to read the scriptures with you. I think there's a surprising number of people in our lives who, if given the opportunity, would be willing to read the Bible with us. Most people in greater Boston, though highly educated, probably have never read the Bible. Perhaps in a literature class or, or something like that, but they have not read it. And so, so if you ask them, would you be interested in reading the Bible with me? Just a portion of it, not the whole thing, just a portion of it. I think you'd find more people that we would think are willing. And if you're wondering, where can I start? There's a second helpful book on the book table. We make nothing off these books, just so you're clear, called One-to-One -one Bible Reading really helpful, clear, give some principles, even some reading plans at the end, I would commend to you if you're thinking about reading the Bible with someone else. But in addition to reading the Bible and sharing all of God's word with others, friends, we also need, in the life of the church, we need pastors who will tell us 
all of, the God's, all, all of God's word. And pastors who will not be editors. We don't need pastors and elders who will add to God's word or take away from God's word. And both of those are very real temptations for every preacher, including me. So the temptation to add to God's word would be to add to rules that are not in God's word, maybe intended even from a good motivation, but we've added to what God has given to us. Or to take away from God's word. To be unwilling to speak to controversial topics where God's word speaks. To avoid hard texts in the scriptures. So friends, as a church here, as every church, we need all of God's word, not less than God's word, and not more. And so friends, if this is your church, as a member of this church, we have a responsibility together to that. And there are numerous ways we accomplish this. So we as a church have chosen, you've chosen to help pay for, pay people, pastors like Mike and myself, who are able to devote our time to preaching God's word. So you've generously provided that that's possible. That's a good and wise thing for us to do as a church. But also beyond that, we also play a role in that you, you can pray for your pastor. That's a good investment of time each week to just say, would you pray for whoever's preaching this Sunday? Would you pray that they would be clear? They would be faithful. And pray also that we would not be fearful. It's very easy for a pastor to be fearful, perhaps to fear the culture, so be unwilling to speak in certain areas because of what the culture would think of us, or perhaps because the pastor, we fear you. We'd like you. We'd like to be liked, and so to say hard things is dangerous, and so it's easier to avoid those things, so pray. We'd be courageous to preach God's word faithfully and clearly. That's one of the reasons why here at Hope we typically preach through books of the Bible is to protect you from me and protect me from you. So to protect you from me means you protect, uh, it protects you from me just preaching on topics that I prefer or that I like or that are comfortable. And I can assure you there are numerous passages in 1 Samuel we just would never get to if it's up to me just on my own. I probably never even choose 1 Samuel. It's a hard book. It's going to take some work to get through. So I would just choose texts that I like, that you're going to like, that speak much of the love of grace of God, that never condemn anyone. I say, that's great. So preaching straight through books of the Bible protects you from me. It also protects me from you, from fearing you, so that I avoid hard text. So they say, well, you know, Pastor, why did you preach on that topic? Because it was next. It's not because of what you told me. It's not because of something going on. It's like, well, that's the next chapter. So I didn't sit in an office and say, I really need to talk about this topic to those people. It's like, it's just the next chapter. So in both ways, we protect you from me and me from you. And for, let me encourage you to come eager to listen. No matter who's preaching, say this is a significant moment where we get to sit together safely, freely, and hear God's word preached. And for, if this is your church, as you're at a church, if you've joined a faithful church, you, you should have trust for the pastors. But you still should always listen with your Bible open. It shouldn't be a blind trust. You shouldn't say, well, that's my pastor. I'm just going to trust whatever he says. Now, there shouldn't be an you know, overwhelming skepticism either. Perhaps you're not in a church you should be in. So yes, please do trust. But don't just listen. Listen with your Bible open. Trust and verify, we might say. 
And if, if, if pastors begin to wander from the truth in this church, friend, you should, you should take steps to discipline those pastors or remove those pastors if they start to add to or take away from God's word. We as a church also want to train up and send out pastors, church planters, missionaries, and workers. So friend, therefore, perhaps God is stirring in your heart a desire to Perhaps do one of those things, and you find yourself in this curious, strange place. I, I would love to talk with you about that. Talk with any of the elders. We would love to help you in that. So we see the word is announced. But then fourth and finally, we see the word is plentiful. The word is plentiful. So after this announcement, the author pans back to a wider snapshot of time. We're told that Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him. Not only with him, but with his words, for they were God's words. So these words that were God's word did not fall to the ground. I mean, they, they weren't wasted. We see in verse 20 that all of Israel, from one end of the nation to the other, knew that Samuel was a prophet of the Lord. The Lord continued to reveal himself to Samuel by his word. And then if you look just at the beginning of chapter 4, chapter 4, verse 1, it says, And the word of Samuel came to all Israel. And the word of Samuel was the very word of God. So be sure to notice the change. If you remember chapter 3, verse 1, the word was rare. But by chapter 4, verse 1, the word is spreading. The word is everywhere. The word is plentiful to all Israel. And this is God's good design for his word to spread, for his word to be plentiful. We see this assurance the Lord was with Samuel. For as Christians, we have even better news the Lord is with all of us, not only with the prophets, but with all. In fact, the very Spirit, the Holy Spirit, dwells in you as a Christian. That means the Lord is with you. We saw this at the end of the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew 28, 18 to 20. Jesus says to his disciples, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So we're to go and make disciples, teaching them. We're, we're to go and spread the word, to make the word plentiful. And as we go, it's a daunting task. We're prone to be fearful. We, we doubt our own strength, but the Lord is with you. Friend, Christ is with you. So you seek to make the word plentiful on your campus or in your workplace or in your family. We get to join in this great mission. So friends, we have a faithful and powerful speaking God. So let's listen to his words. Individually, as a church, let us share that word freely and joyfully. That'd be plentiful here in greater Boston and around the world.